listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly masterclass interviews on topics to help you make your first or next step in business the right one. I'm your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Do you consider yourself to be a high performer? I believe that each of us has the desire to become the best version of ourselves and to continuously improve our performance in life and in business. I wanted to bring on a guest that could talk to us about how to become a high performer from a practical standpoint. Today, I'm talking with Alan Stein Jr., He is a high-performance coach and keynote speaker, and he's also the author of the book, Raise Your Game, which has been featured by Amazon as one of the best business and leadership books. In today's conversation, Alan shares with us three keys to high performance that will greatly serve you on your personal development journey. So let's not wait any longer. Here is my conversation with Alan Stein Jr. Alan, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. So excited to have you with us here today. Oh, I'm equally excited. We're going to have a lot of fun. You know, I've looked up quite a few videos that you've done over the years, some of your coaching, some of your high performance coaching even. And one thing that I see connected in everything you do happens to be basketball. Uh, I'd love for you to explain how basketball has played a part in you becoming a high performance coach and leader and, and even keynote speaker. What is the part this has played and is there any parallels between the two? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this to start us off. Well, basketball was actually my first identifiable passion, and I fell in love with the game at four or five years old. And here, four decades later, as you just mentioned, basketball is still a major pillar in my life. And, and that's something I'm incredibly grateful and, and thankful for. Um, I was a, a fairly decent public high school player here in the D.C. area, uh, then went down and played on scholarship at Elon down in North Carolina. And while I was in college, I started to develop an equal affinity for the training side for the strength, conditioning, fitness, and performance side. So when I graduated Elon in 1998, I decided to marry my original love of basketball with my newfound love of performance training, and I became a basketball performance coach. And I spent almost 20 years working mostly with middle school, high school, and college-level players uh, on what they needed to do to raise their game on the court. And in the, uh, I had an opportunity to work at two nationally renowned high schools here in the D.C. area, uh, one of which is where Kevin Durant graduated from. Uh, the other is where Victor Oladipo graduated from. So I had a chance to work with uh, some future NBA superstars. Uh, and in doing so, that also got me some work uh, with Nike and Jordan Brand and USA Basketball, uh, which got me uh, in the door, if you will, uh, to be around alongside and learn from guys like LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and Steph Curry and Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis. Uh, So uh, my journey has allowed me to see kind of the before and the after picture of what it takes to be an elite level basketball player. And then four years ago, I decided to make the very intentional pivot over to the corporate space and take all of the lessons that I had learned from the game, all the lessons that I had learned from these elite level players and coaches and translate that over to business uh, to help executives, to help entrepreneurs um, use the same mindsets, rituals, routines, and disciplines that those players use to perform well on the court in their respective lives. And, and that's what I've been doing since. And yeah, basketball, the, the things that we can learn in business and in life from the game of basketball uh, are paramount. And those, those principles, uh, a few of which I know we'll talk about today, have such high utility. I think it's great that you're able to actually relate basketball the way that you are. And now when I first looked you up, though, I have to I have to confess something here, Alan, I, uh, I looked at some pictures of you next to some of these basketball players that you just mentioned. 
you're substantially shorter than a lot of these guys, but, but you played, huh? <laughs> I did. And well, funny enough. So I, I'm actually six one. So that, oh, you wow, know, I, okay. I'm not very short. No, you're not. Past, when most of the pictures are with guys, six, eight, six, nine, six, 10, uh, I become short by default. Uh, I remember somebody, I had met them a long time ago. And one of the only pictures they saw of me, um, was with the entire Montrose Christian high school team. That's where Kevin Durant played, uh, so it was a high school team and we were all in the weight room and I was probably the second or third shortest player there. So the person that saw the picture just assumed that I was like five, six or five, seven. And then we met in person. They said, I can't believe you're this tall. And I said, yeah, well, that's just because everybody in this picture is enormous, even though they're high school age kids, they're pretty big. So, uh, yeah, six, one, you know, playing back in the eighties and nineties, that was certainly sufficient enough to play point guard, which is what I played. That's great. That's good. I think I would have had the same reaction if I met you in person and realized that you're a few inches taller than me. I've been like, what? This did not, <laughs> I wouldn't have expected that. But um, yeah, and, and height obviously has nothing to do with how great of a basketball player you can be anyway. It just uh, it caught me off guard when I found out you actually played. So absolutely. Um, fantastic though. Hey, something you say in your book, Raise Your Game, you say success is a result of what we do all the time. Before we jump into these three keys for high performance, can you talk a little bit about what we do all the time, like this, this matters every single day, all the time. Can you explain basically what that means? Well, for the most part, and, and you can pick however you want to fill in the blank. It could be happiness and fulfillment. It could be success or significance. It could be uh, respect or impact. Uh, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, that is going to be a direct result of the things that you do every day. It's going to be a direct result of your habits. And, and, you know, our habits are the things we do unconsciously and the things we do consistently. So in essence, we get to choose our habits and our habits dictate the finish line, the success, the happiness, the fulfillment. So uh, I think the, 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 the best way to ensure that we're designing our future and designing our happiness and success is to focus on the habits, is to not worry so much about the outcome, but focus much more on the process and what we're doing on a daily basis. And, you know, I, I'm very fortunate that one of my quotes is uh, hanging up in the football training center at Penn State. And, and that quote is, are the habits you have today on par with the dreams you have for tomorrow. And that's one of my foundational beliefs. You know, if you have these dreams of, of who you want to become or what you want to accomplish, they have to be aligned with the habits that you have. If not, one of them needs to change. You either need to improve your habits or you need to lower your dreams. And, and I say that with a little bit of tongue in cheek because there's not very many people that will concede they want to lower their dreams, which means the only thing you can do is improve your habits improve your habits. I think that's fantastic. Another way I heard you say it actually was the actions you take today will determine where you are tomorrow. And I think that's the main thing I want the creating a brand audience today to really be focused on as we're going through these key, these three different keys, is that this is something that we have to turn into a habit it has to be part of our lives. It can't just be something you focus on for one day and assume you're going to see a change Absolutely. down the line. It's something that you've got to do consistently. So uh, with that said, I'm ready to jump into these three points. The first of which that we're going to talk about today is self care, because many entrepreneurs, they burn the, the candle at both ends, right? They, they get up early, and they stay up late. Uh, self care, how can that be involved in what we're doing? And how is that actually a pillar of, of high performance? I believe our society has kind of created this monster where people equate not sleeping. And as you just said, so insightfully, burning the candle at both ends, <laughs> and grinding, grinding, grinding with being synonymous with success. And uh, I simply don't believe that. Now, I'm a firm believer in having a tremendous work ethic and, and putting in the hours, especially during the unseen hours uh, of working on your craft to develop mastery. So I'm all about working hard, uh, but I've learned that the only way that is sustainable 
is if you take care of yourself first. You know, I understand that a, a someone that is new to the entrepreneur game, regardless of their physical age or chronological age, if they're new to the game, they're more than likely wearing a lot of hats. If they're a solopreneur, you know, they've got to be doing everything underneath the umbrella. Um, but one of the mistakes they make is they let their own battery run out because they're spending so much time pouring into all of these areas. And what will eventually happen, happen uh, the stress, they won't be able to manage the stress or they'll start to stagnate or plateau or worst case scenario is they get completely burnt out. And the only way to alleviate those things is by self-care. It's by understanding that you have to prioritize yourself first, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, if appropriate to you, you have to fill your bucket first before you can fill the bucket of anyone or anything else. And funny enough, especially when you have other people relying on you, to not do so would be to be selfish. You know, if you think about it, if you're a hmm. solopreneur, um, you're doing that in service of your clients or customers or patients, members, subscribers, whatever. You're doing it in service of them. And those people need you to show up every single day as the best version of yourself so that you can serve them to the, the, the maximum. And anytime you show up as less than the best version of yourself, you're taking away from them. And that by definition is, is being selfish. Uh, same thing for those that are starting to grow their team. You know, maybe you have two or three or four or five team members. Those folks are counting on you as the leader to show up as the best version of yourself. And once again, not doing so means you're cheating them. So it all starts with making sure that uh, certainly that we're self-aware, uh, that we're self-disciplined, uh, that we have self-compassion, you know, when we make a mistake, which we'll inevitably do, that, that we can give ourselves some grace and, and move on to the next play. But more importantly, uh, entrepreneurs need to make the time every single day to do something that recharges their own battery and fills their own bucket. And that is, that is vital. That cannot be something that, that they do when they feel like it or they do when it's convenient or do when they want to, that needs to be a non-negotiable. Every entrepreneur listening to this right now should have at least one hour a day earmarked to do something that fills their own bucket. It goes back to what we said at the beginning. We talked about how this is stuff you have to do every day. So it can't just be once a week for a couple hours. It needs to be something you actually put into a habit into practice every single day. Uh, Alan, now I kind of want to hear from your experience because I know that you share from experience your, yourself four years ago making that transition that you did. Did you hit a point of burnout or did you maybe burn the candle at both ends as we're saying? Like, have you actually seen this happen and how did you really identify that and actually break free of it and make this room for self-care for yourself? Well, I, I'm very thankful and I think this is aligned with the fact that I was kind of in the performance space. And, and as a basketball performance coach, um, many times those would require very early mornings uh, to get some workouts in before school. Um, and because I was surrounded by and was preaching and teaching, living a healthy lifestyle of eating well and getting adequate sleep and working out, uh, those things have always been very second nature to me. So I'm very fortunate that just based on my interest and my vocation, self-care has, has very rarely been a problem for me. But I'm very well aware, especially when I made that leap over to the corporate side, um, that it is an issue for a lot of people. And I, I can't stress enough that I know that many of the times folks that lack the self-care discipline, they do so with the noblest intentions. 
They're doing so because they're spending every waking hour serving other people and pouring into other people. And many of them, you know, they spend a, a 12 to 15 hour day pouring into their business and then they go home and spend everything else pouring into their children or their spouse or their mm -hmm. families that they're left with nothing. Uh, so I know that their intentions are noble. What I try to do is, is create the paradigm shift where they realize that you simply can't serve those in business or in your personal life to the degree that you're capable of if you don't fill your bucket first. That has to be a priority. And yeah, a, a day may come up where you've got a deadline and you have to skip something. I'm not saying that it it's, it's going to happen every single day of your life. What I'm saying is it needs to become a priority and a focal point, and it needs to be done as habitually as possible. And, and I know uh, you and your listeners love action items. So one of the things that, that I highly recommend folks do uh, is a, a self-care audit. And what I'd want them to do is on one piece of paper, uh, I just want you to jot down four or five of the activities that you know fill your bucket and recharge your spirit. Once again, physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. This could be something like taking a yoga class or a spin class. This could be for going a jog, you know, going for a jog around your lake. This could be meditating or prayer or listening to classical music uh, or, I mean, it, whatever it is that whenever you do these things, it gives you a little more pep in your step and, and gives you a nice smile. And I want you to come up with this list. And then on the other, on another piece of paper, I want you to write down what your typical morning and evening routine looks like. What do the bookends of your day look like? How do you normally spend the first 60 minutes of each day uh, after you wake up and the last 60 minutes before you go to bed? And I'm well aware that not every day is the same. Uh, I, I, I'm sure that many people's Sundays and Wednesdays aren't exactly the same, but I do know that human beings are creatures of habit. In fact, there was a Duke University study that said 42% of everything we do in our waking hours is habitual, which leads me to believe that while your Sunday and Wednesdays might not be the same, what you do most Sunday mornings and what you do most Wednesday nights will be the same. And I want you to be very honest in what you normally do on, on the bookends. And then I want you to compare your two sets of notes. And I want to see how much crossover there is. On one hand, you know that these things fill your bucket, but then are you actually doing them in your morning and evening routine consistently? And if you're being really honest, most people will start to find what's called a performance gap. And that's the gap between what we know we're supposed to do and what we actually do. And if you can start closing that gap by infusing some of the things from list one onto list two, you'll see your performance start to skyrocket, your output, uh, your success, your everything will start to improve because now you'll be doing so from a place of strength instead of a place of fatigue. That's that's incredible, Alan. Thank you. We're going to close that performance gap. Everything you just mentioned there, I'm going to make sure I lay that out in detail in the show notes for the audience. And thank you for knowing the Creating a Brand listeners. We love action. We love to be able to do something. So thank you for already laying that out for us there. As a thank you for listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, I'd like to invite you to join our private community for free. If you text the word community to one 299 8992. I'll respond with a free invitation link. Once you join, I'll connect you with other community members and resources to help accelerate your success. Join today by texting the word community to 1-904-299-8992. I'm looking forward to talking to you within the Creating a Brand community. And now let's get back to today's episode. This is actually a perfect time for us to transition into uh, the second key for high performance, because it's, it kind of goes right along with it, which is to live in the present. 
Can you talk about why it's important to live in the present? Uh, most certainly. And uh, let me uh, offer this disclaimer. Um, so I'm a 44-year-old, amicably divorced, father of three, keynote speaker, author, uh, I guess, entrepreneur slash freelancer by trade. And <laughs> living in the present moment is without question the most difficult challenge I face every single day of my life. Uh, and that's just because it's really hard not to get distracted by the past. And, and when I say past, I'm not necessarily saying, you know, 20 years ago. The past is five minutes ago because that's over. That's now in the rearview mirror. Hmm. Uh, and it's equally challenging not to get anxious or worried about the future. Uh, once again, I don't mean 30 years from now. I mean later today. Am I, am I right now, is my mental space present with you and your listeners, or am I worried about what I have to do later this afternoon? Well, the key to high performance and the key to happiness is being able to stay locked into that present moment. But I wanted to make that disclaimer because it is challenging to do. Um, now, it's basic in premise, but it's not easy. And I always want to make that distinction because many people use the words basic and easy as if they're synonymous. They use them interchangeably, and they're not. What it takes for you to be a successful entrepreneur is very basic in premise. But as you know, it is not easy to do. So being present is basic. It just simply means be where your feet are. That wherever your feet are, make sure your head and your heart are, are there as well. Which means if you're going to be with someone, then be with someone. Be there in mind, body, and soul. And as basic as that premise is, and the reason I say basic, because my eight-year-old daughter understands that. That doesn't confuse her. She knows what that means. But it's not easy because we are consistently and constantly bombarded by distractions, a good portion of which are, are from technology and from our phones and our laptops and our iPads. Um, but we have to learn how to block out all of the distractions and stay in the present moment. And ultimately, that is the definition of being mentally tough. Uh, it's an acronym that I use called WIN, W-I-N. And in order to win, you have to know what's important now. And you have to learn how to give your full attention and focus to what's important now. If, if you and I, Alex, were going out to lunch, I need to make sure that you know you are the most important thing to me at that moment. So I'm going to give you my full undivided attention. Uh, I'm not going to be looking around the restaurant or constantly checking my phone. You know, that would send the exact opposite message of that. And then the moment our lunch was over, then I would shift my sights to the next most important thing at that moment. And that's what I would focus on. So if, if your listeners can consistently practice on WIN, focusing on what's important now and learn to be where your feet are in the present moment, you'll see the performance in every single area of your life increase. You actually did a TED talk at Baylor about this, and you actually titled it uh, Be Where Your Feet Are, which I'm going to link to in the show notes as well, because I think it's such a powerful concept. And I want to make sure that we expand on this just for a moment, because this is probably the worst subject for the entire world right now, I'd say. We're more distracted than ever before. We're, it almost feels like you could be sitting across a table from someone and they aren't even there. And I, yes. I've seen that time and time again, even with friends, and they don't mean anything by it necessarily. But the concept of actually being present, um, and as you're calling it, when uh, what's most important now or what's important now is is really difficult for people to do. How have you been able to train yourself to actually do this, given all the things that are on your plate? You just mentioned your title. If you put that together, I think that's like a, a full paragraph almost, you know, like how have you been able to actually keep yourself in the present? 
Well, once again, going back to action items, what I want folks to do is first and foremost is take a look at the physical environment and make sure you're setting up a physical environment that is conducive to being present. So, uh, and, and, and knowing this will require some self-awareness. Um, for right or for wrong, I can tell you, Alex, that if I have my phone on my person, I am going to check it. I don't have the willpower or strength right. to not check it. So in order for me to create an environment that will increase the chance that I stay present with you at lunch, I leave my phone in the car. Uh, or if I needed to keep it with me just in case you were running late, the moment you arrive, uh, I turn off the notifications, I turn it face down, and I set it on the seat next to me where I can't see it, hear it, or feel it if it vibrates. So I'm going to create an, a, an environment that increases the chance that I'm going to be present. Uh, same thing. Um, you know, Right now, uh, while I'm doing this call with you, uh, I am in my office. The door is closed. Uh, I don't have email open. I don't have, I'm not folding laundry. Uh, I'm not doing anything right now except staying fully focused and present on serving you and your listeners. Now, if I had several of my devices open or was folding laundry or my kids were, you know, I left the door open and my kids are five feet away, there'd be too many things that would increase the chance that I'm going to be distracted and thus not be fully present. So a lot of it starts with environment. Um, one last example, uh, let's just say, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're working in your office. One of your team members knocks on the door and walks in. Mm, you have two choices. Your choice is either to say, I need you to hold on for a minute. I'm in the middle of something and I'm almost done. Or you say, you put your phone down or you close your laptop and you say, Hey, Alex, Hey, what can I do for you? How can I help you? Those should be the only two options. But what most people do is they try to straddle between both. You walk in and I'm constantly glancing at my laptop and then looking up at you or looking at my phone and looking at you and you're saying something while I'm responding to an email and I kind of give you, the, oh, oh yeah, Alex, oh yeah, that's okay, gotcha. And, and I'm straddling both worlds right. and I'm not serving either. So when someone enters the room in this case, really you have two choices. Either tell them to wait because you're in the middle of something that's very important, which means you're staying present to that thing or you stop what you were doing and give that person your full attention. Um, those are the only two acceptable uh, discourses. So being mindful basically is being present, just really knowing your surroundings. Again, simple, but not always easy. Creating a brand this is such a powerful point. I think that if you can get this and really implement this in your life, you will see a noticeable difference almost immediately from this one. So Alan, I'm glad we covered that. Uh, now onto the last point here, mastering the fundamentals. And this one you use a lot of basketball examples for. Can we get into that? Absolutely. Well, I was very fortunate uh, back in 2007 to work uh, the first Nike Skills Academy that they did with Kobe Bryant. And um, the lesson that Kobe taught me at the end of that camp uh, was something that changed my life forever and really is my probably my signature foundational belief in every area of my life, whether it's fatherhood or entrepreneurship. And that is if you want to be successful, you can't get bored with the basics, which means you have to appreciate trust and respect the process and appreciate trust and respect that the fundamentals deserve your attention and that you should be working towards mastery of them uh, all of the time. No matter how accomplished you become, you should never, ever leave the basics and fundamentals. And uh, this is clearly true in basketball. You know, in, in a game like basketball, uh, your footwork your shooting mechanics, uh, your ability to handle the ball, your basketball IQ. I mean, these are the pillars that make, make up your game as a player. And as soon as you stop working on those things, you'll put an immediate ceiling on how good of a player you can be. Well, 
I want entrepreneurs when they examine their business to think, okay, what are the basics of my business? What are, what are the, what is the footwork uh, of what it is that I do? And then make sure that you're working relentlessly to, to heighten mastery of that and to improve that. Um, one thing that I'll just use as an example, because I think it's fairly universal. Uh, every entrepreneur listening right now, whether you uh, are a solopreneur or you have a staff of 20, whether you're in the service industry or uh, you sell a product, you need to learn how to actively listen. You need to listen to your teammates or those on your team, or even if you're a solopreneur, you have to learn how to listen uh, to your clients and your customers. The skill of listening is vital and learning how to ask insightful questions and then listen and truly take in their responses is the only way that you can continue to innovate and be productively creative so that you can best serve customized solutions to what your clients and customers need. And I could, I think I could make a pretty compelling argument that listening uh, to entrepreneurship is footwork is to basketball. And that's what I want folks to think about is come up with a handful of basic fundamentals that you need to work on. Uh, the, I've been around some of the best leaders uh, in all of sports and all of them learn to become world-class listeners so that they could listen to themselves and their intuition. They could listen to members of their team and they could listen to those that they serve. And, and that's, that's just one example uh, from an action item standpoint. You know, a company that actually really does this well is, is Amazon. Everybody's heard of Amazon. They've really done a great job of listening to their customer and also building the fundamentals of their business around that. They have a saying in Amazon that it's always day one. Every time Jeff Bezos does a letter to shareholders, he talks about, hey, we're always day one. It's never going to be day two here. Because I think a lot of companies and, and entrepreneurs themselves, they kind of hit the point where they, they make a little bit of success. They, they make some money. And they kind of feel like the fundamentals don't matter. They kind of move on from them. And then they, they move on from even their customer because they're just, oh, well, I've kind of already done all that. I built that foundation already. But it is so important to do it over and over again. You, know, you use Kobe as an example, best basketball player of his time, you know, hands down. And he talked about never getting bored with the basics. That should tell you something. When someone who is the best in the best in the world says stick to the basics, uh, you know, don't just continue to lug away at them. There's something to be said for that. Oh, absolutely. And, and if we, we switch over to a different sport, which still has high utility, if you look at football, um, let's just say in the last 10 to 15 years, uh, I think without question, uh, Nick Saban at Alabama and Bill Belichick with the Patriots um, have the highest winning percentages and, and the most titles. I mean, th those two organizations um, have, for the most part, dominated college football and NFL. And both of those coaches um, work on the fundamentals every single practice. Every single workout. And these are with the best of the best. You're talking about the upper 1% of Division I football players and in the NFL, the best players in the world. And they still make time to work on the basics and fundamentals every single day. They never leave them. And, and inevitably, I find it rather funny that um, I, I'm an NFL fan. I enjoy watching the game. And um, what will happen every season, uh, an NFL team will lose two or three games in a row. And after that second or third loss, the head coach comes on for the post-game press conference and says something to the effect of, on Monday at practice, we're going to get back to the basics, which in football is blocking and tackling and throwing and catching. But they say we're going to get back to the basics. And that always makes me laugh. Uh, not because I think I'm a, a better leader than these guys. These NFL football coaches are geniuses. But I laugh because their solution to the problem is to get back to the basics, hmm. which leads leads us to the only logical question of why did you leave them in the first place? If you believe going back to the basics will solve your problems, then don't leave them in the first place and you won't have those problems. And case in point, 
Alabama and uh, the Patriots don't ever leave the basics and look at their track record. And I just think that's an important lesson for all of us to remember. Don't get to the point where you have to get back to the basics because you've had a dip in performance or a dip in your sales. Stick with them. And, and keep in mind, too, that when you do things consistently, you don't have to do them for hours and hours. Uh, I'm not implying that that Kobe Bryant spends seven hours a day working on pivoting or that Nick Saban is doing basic blocking and tackling for 80% of every practice. No, you can devote a smaller amount of time because you're going to do those things every single day. And that's where we get the cumulative effect. You know, it's very similar to if you were going to build a brick wall, you don't have to build the whole wall in one day. Right. You could lay three or four bricks every day. And if you do that every day, eventually the wall will take care of itself. So just think about laying those basic bricks and getting those perfect reps for a, a, you know, a portion of time every day, maybe 15 to 20 minutes and never leave them. And that will help fortify the foundation to which the rest of the house is built. So sticking to the fundamentals, listening as much as you possibly can, more than you're talking, of course, uh, that's a great point. You really laid a good foundation for us there. Um, Alan, coach, as we come to the end here, um, uh, as you've obviously done quite a bit of strength and conditioning, you've done some some coaching along the way, of course. Um, I know you've got some final wisdom, a final thought for us that you'd love to share, right? Oh, of course. Absolutely. No. And this time sure flies, man, when we're having a good conversation. For sure. this, was, this was a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to share something uh, and kind of an action thought that I use with myself um, consistently that, that I found to be very helpful. And as I've gotten older, um, I've really embraced simplicity. Uh, I think complexity uh, can cause us to stagnate. I think complexity can be a demotivator. We don't need to make life any more challenging than it is. So here's what I do. As I mentioned earlier, I'm 44 years old. And while I do try to live in the present moment, um, I do have a loose vision of the man that I want to be 20 years from now. So uh, who do I want the 64-year-old Alan to be? Well, without getting into too much detail, I want the 64-year-old Alan to be physically, mentally, and emotionally fit. Uh, I want the 64-year-old Alan to have a very deep and fulfilling relationship with his children, his family, his friends, and his closest clients and colleagues. Uh, I want the 64-year-old Alan to be doing what he considers to be very meaningful work in service of others. So if I had a crystal ball, that is what I would want the 64-year-old Alan to be. So that just means every day of my life, every decision that I make, I run through the binary filter of, will this take me closer to becoming that guy or will it take me further away? From what I choose to eat for lunch to who I follow on Instagram, I ask myself, is doing this thing going to take me closer to being who I want to be when I'm 64 or does it take me further away? Uh, and then obviously, uh, my goal is to consistently make as many decisions as possible that are in alignment with becoming the man that I want to be. And I know that time is not promised, I know there is no guarantee that I'll even see the age of 64, but if I do, I feel overwhelmingly confident that that is the man that I'll become because that is the life that I'm designing now. And when I run everything through that filter, it becomes really simple, you know? Um, and, and, and to me, you can use that type of binary filter in any area of your life. You don't have to use it for yourself. You can use it as an entrepreneur for your business. You know, where do you want your business to be one year from today? And then make every decision that you that you can in alignment with making sure that it takes you closer to being that business or having that outcome or result. So when we can when we can look at the the world and our desires and outcomes with great clarity and run it through that filter, then we know that we're we're sailing our ship in the right direction. 
Now, and this is such an inspiring way to, to end today's episode. I want to thank you so much for your time and just helping us all to, to raise our game. Thank you for being a guest today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Alan is someone who really understands what it means to live a life of high performance. And I love that he offered so much practical application for us in this episode. I have all that typed up in the show notes. And now for my call to action question for this episode, which of Alan's three keys to high performance stood out to you the most and why? Visit creatingabrand.com slash 060 to share your response. Alan, thank you again for being our coach on the Creating a Brand podcast today and for helping us all to raise our game. To learn more about Alan Stein Jr. and to pick up a copy of his book, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 060. Thank you as always for listening and I'm looking forward to bringing you another masterclass episode next week. 